1: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This show, will be talking Messi, American ownership, the special one, U.S. men's national team game preview, Gio being passed around, Donovan on Pulisic, Carly on Emma, Friedel on American goalkeepers, Mal Swanson getting paid, basketball supporter sections, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossey, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mosse, how are you doing on this Wednesday, January 17th in the year 2024? I'm doing well. I can't help but notice that
2: you're rocking a South Bay hat today.
1: I am. Uh, I, as some people do, uh, sometimes strategically buy gifts for others that i know i may want to use so this possibly was a part of um you know or one of the presents that i gave my uh my wife earlier or last year for her birthday that has somehow found its way onto my head is this a is this a brand that you know or is you just saying that it's south bay No, yeah, it looks good oh, thank you I'm, I'm trying i'm also rocking for those that are watching by the way um a sweatshirt or a a a sweat jacket that I've had in my closet for a long time. Producer Sean seems to think that this is from uh, 2013-ish, circa 2013-ish. So a decade ago, when they came out with these kind of retro uh, jerseys and used a, an old retro um, American brand that, if you go back into the history, was uh, was uh, was a, for this uh, celebration of the centennial. Um, this was also used by rugby and then we kind of co-opted and all that kind of stuff i don't care it just looks really cool it's got uh the uh this incredible u.s crest on the front but it was just sitting in the back of my closet and i looked at it and said hey that's something for the state of the union so i'll wear that it's got i'll show you the back here real quick so you can't get too much uh too much usa have you watched anything my friend seen anything
2: couple things uh wrapping up my hulu trifecta I'm binging Reservation Dogs, which is excellent. Uh, enjoying it very much. And secondly, I did watch last night the movie Blackberry. How could I not, after that murderer's row of recommendations, yourself, Krishna, or soccer thoughts?
1: And you were right, my friend. It is excellent. It's really good. My yeah. wife came running in after it. She goes, this is great. And, and again, I think it suffers from or well, a lack of i guess traditional marketing and promotion but the word of mouth is is good it's getting around people are hearing about it so that, uh, that's really good i don't have a whole lot i'll be honest with you musy we talk about all these different platforms that we have and in theory there's this this volumes and volumes of stuff that you could never possibly get to it all and yet i feel like it's it's slim pickings for for me right now i mean i watched this thing on netflix called detective forced which is this polish uh, crime drama, six episodes, so it's limited. It it's in and out, which fills my criteria. Eh, it's just, it's not that interesting. It's not that exciting. Um, but I, I just I'm a glutton, so I just continue to to watch it. Have you but, but my wife, me, my wife, she came in uh after having watched have you heard of this movie Saltburn? I've heard of it. Okay. Well she was freaked out about it, which means I'm definitely watching it. Okay. Um, but its I think it's on Amazon or something like that. I mean, you can find it anywhere, but it's on Amazon uh, right now. So I'm going to check it out. But it's evidently a pretty freaky movie, so I'll give you my review of that when I see it.
2: A lot of people recommending that to me, but it's in the back of my list. I have other things I want I to watch first. And
1: you have to prioritize, my yeah. friend, uh, someone like uh, someone like you. All right, listen, we have a, a, an incredible show, as I mentioned, all sorts of stuff coming, uh, coming your way. Should we light this candle? Let's do it. Where should we start? On Monday,
2: the FIFA Best Ceremony took place in London, Lionel Messi won Men's Player of the Year, beating out Erlen Haaland and Kylian Mbappe. Aitana Bonmati won Women's Player of the Year, beating out Linda Caicedo and Jennifer Hermoso. Not much controversy on the women's side. Bonmati was a no-brainer. Plenty of controversy on the men's side. Messi winning was actually surprising. There was an audible gasp in the room
1: when he won. (laughs) Including from uh, Haaland's dad, yes.
2: Yeah, most people thought Erlen Haaland was going to take it. And I have to say... Though I hate to agree with Messi hating Ronaldo fanboys on Twitter. I do think this is one too many. We all know how great Messi is. Over the past 15 years, pretty much any award they wanted to give him, I thought was defensible. But this one was not. Um, I don't agree with this at all. I do think Holland should have won it. It
1: it was not because of what? Uh, Keep in
2: mind, this award did not encompass the World Cup. The time frame was... December 19, 2022, which is the day after the World Cup final, until August 20, 2023. And while we here in the United States view 2023 as this momentous year in Messi's career because it's the year he came to MLS, if we take our blinders off from a global context, it's a bit of a throwaway year in his career. I mean, that period I just said catches this depressing second half of the season at PSG, when they went out meekly in the round of 16 of the Champions League, no international tournaments for Argentina, and then seven Inter-Miami games, essentially the League's Cup. I just don't think that's enough to give the guy the World Player of the Year award.
1: Is there any player that could have come over in the way, and at the time that Messi did last year, and have produced the same type of phenomenon that we saw with what he did when he came over to MLS and started, obviously, in League's Cup and did all that. I mean, this was not this was a domestic sensation, and this was an international sensation. So, for example, Erlen Holland that, that you mentioned uh, certainly could have won. I think everybody went happy that he doesn't produce that same type of magic and awe and ooh. And so isn't, isn't that the argument as to how important Messi is and still is, that he can still do something like that? And maybe you could say Cristiano Ronaldo could do something like that but maybe it's only Messi that could do it and that's where i would argue that. Now let's get, get let's get to the MLS part of it, okay? This um will be celebrated by MLS and obviously it's the first time and probably the only time for the foreseeable future that an MLS player is going to win that world player uh, of the year. But you know what? You, you take it. And uh MLS has used Messi on and off the field to sell. And in this situation, having a player that now is playing week in and week out in your league that is, from a uh, trophy perspective, once again, the player of the year, that's a good thing. And you'd be dumb not to market it. You'd be dumb not to celebrate it uh, if you are MLS or any league for that matter.
2: No, I agree. I mean, Messi is obviously an outlier. There's no other MLS player in the top, whatever. So uh, I don't think Messi winning is evidence of uh euro snobs coming around on major league soccer uh so we still pine for the day when somebody like ahani Mukhtar, his exploits in mls will carry over where he'll actually figure in the discussions for these kinds of awards but i think we're still a long ways off from that but yeah mls should celebrate uh messi winning this award as an mls player and the publicity that he brings to the league absolutely
1: uh, so you were uh, so. While there is controversy, and then certainly I can put myself in another position and argue against Messi, but uh, Bomati, I don't think any argument between either of us. Uh, Pep as the coach, you you good with that? Absolutely. Okay, you're good with that. Serena Vegman, we're good with that. I think Absolutely. both of us uh, yep. and what she has done, and, and maybe what she's going to continue to do as she just uh, just signed a new contract. Uh, Ederson and uh, Mary Erps for goalkeepers, good with that.
2: Yeah, although you did have that amusing scenario where Ederson did not make the team of the year. Courtois was the goalkeeper there, but Ederson won for goalkeeper of the year.
1: All right, so uh, those are the FIFA awards. Uh, Again, Messi wasn't there and I wasn't there. So we'll see what what happens next year. Where should we go now?
2: Uh, during our last podcast on Monday, when we were recapping the AC Milan Roma game, mostly through the lens of Pulisic and Musa, you wrapped up your spiel by alluding to the fact that Jose Mourinho was sitting in the stand serving a suspension. Then you thought he might get fired. And I didn't react to that. I just moved on to the next game and the rundown because quite honestly, I didn't think he was that close to getting the sack. But you read the tea leaves on that better than I did, my friend, because we woke up the next morning to the news that Jose Mourinho has been fired by Roma after two and a half years. It's a big call by the American owners. That's the Friedkin family, given the fact that Mourinho is immensely popular with the fans. He did reach European finals in his first two seasons there, won the Conference League two seasons ago, lost the Europa League final on penalties last season. Um, And the fact that these are new owners still trying to establish themselves. And the biggest feather in their cap had been the fact that they hired Jose Mourinho. So big call by those owners.
1: Yeah, big call. But I mean, look, Jose Mourinho, like a lot of coaches, is no stranger to being fired. Um, That he is the special one and he brings all of this baggage, both good and bad, means that if and when this happens, and we know this happens on a consistent basis in sports in general, it's that much more uh, of a story. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, um, uh, the the images of him leaving the ground. And I, I do think that this was a team that he felt close to, maybe, more, maybe closer than other teams. He is a mercenary, as a lot of coaches are, um, but I do think that both Roma and, I guess, Italy in a way is near and dear to him. We know he's had past success. And while this one might not be looked at in the, in, in the same terms as other teams, you could see that it was still special to him. I don't think he was necessarily crying because he got fired again. I mean, he's going to make plenty of money and he's certainly used to that, but I do think that it, it came to an end and maybe he was like you thinking, well, there's there's no chance they're going to fire me right, fire me right now. Um, but, you know, coaches are hired to get fired. And he, I'm not going to cry for uh, Mourinho. He's going to be just fine going forward.
2: His contract was up at the end of this season. And when he got called into a meeting with the owner, supposedly he expected it to be to discuss an extension. And instead, he got fired. So it, it did catch him by surprise. Yeah, the thing I would say about Mourinho is he gives himself a short leash by the way he acts throwing players under the bus, complaining about the lack of spending, complaining about the referees, and also the style of football that his teams play. So it becomes all about results. I think a different coach under different circumstances might have survived. But with Mourinho, there's always this calculation of is he worth the headache and having to deal with him, especially when you consider that he is the highest paid player Highest paid coach, coach I'm yeah. sorry, in Syria, and as I mentioned, his contract was coming to an end, and they were going to have to give him another big contract to keep him. So I think that was part of the calculation as well.
1: But but you would agree with me that even though we didn't necessarily see it, and you know I was just throwing stuff out there, I, I didn't have any insight information. But it's not it's not a ridiculous decision for this ownership or any ownership in this type of situation to make. Although. Uh, and it should be said that he's being replaced by um, Italian playing legend. Uh, when it comes to Daniele De Rossi, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, another coaching legend in Fabio Capello, he, he did not see it uh, as something that was warranted, and I think he called it a. He said that there was a lack of respect towards Jose Mourinho. You don't see that, do you? That it was, it was a lack of respect to him?
2: No, I don't agree. The owners are allowed to if they don't think the club is heading in the right direction. They're in ninth place in Serie A with the third highest wage bills, so. I think it's surprising, but it's not like a ridiculous move for them to make.
1: But as is the case often when there is, speaking of baggage, Americans involved either on or off the field, it takes on a new light and it's kind of um, catnip for us when it comes to the State, state of the Union. Because uh, Fabio Capello, uh, and for those that don't know, legendary Italian coach and has you know been just incredible and done incredible things. He added after he said that this was a lack of respect, Fire Mourinho. That um, the American owners, as you just mentioned, these new American owners, they look at football as just a business. And then he said, "But to me, to Fabio Capello, it's something more." Now, I can, you know, I can appreciate the fraternity of coaches, managers standing up for each other, especially two kind of old school guys like uh, like this that have been around. But. Um, you know, the, the American aspect of it. And I've said this before. Yes, they do see it as a business. Um, American owners see club ownership in Europe or anywhere else for that matter as a business because they are businesses. And by the way, when they aren't treated as businesses, that's usually when the problems arise. And if anybody knows about problems, it's certainly Italian soccer over the years, but Treating it as a business does not preclude a team from providing um, or, or even fostering a culture that is full of passion and romance and pride and love and entertainment and community and history, which I think what Fabio Capello was longing for. And also, not for nothing, but it's not a uniquely thing, a uniquely American thing to treat a, a, a soccer club like a business. Oh, and by the way, Fabio, all of those millions, when you're off at your villa and you're enjoying your time, all of those millions that you made were relative to this business. So spare me, spare me, spare me.
2: Now, fans of different clubs and national teams around the world are now imagining Jose Mourinho coaching their team, including U.S. national team fans on Twitter. Now, the U.S. has a coach, Greg Berhalter. We know nothing is going to happen until after the Copa America at the earliest. But uh, Sean Sullivan did dig up a 2011 quote from Mourinho in which he did (laughs) express some interest in managing the U.S. someday. Um, So it's not going to happen right now, as I said. But just generally speaking, if sometime in the next few years the possibility came up for Jose Mourinho to manage the U.S. national team, how does that hit you? I'm intrigued
1: um, only because I think that this is a big, bold personality. In in, in, a, in a strange way, there is a beautiful arrogance that is kind of um, uniquely American in what Jose Mourinho does. He's talked about it before. It would be his, his uh, correct me if I'm wrong, his first for, foray into international, which is very different. We all know that's very different. I don't see it happening unless what we have talked about relative to this summer comes to pass. If it is an abject failure from Greg Burhalter, and they say, you know what? Again, we just keep getting closer and closer to 2026. If there's a time to uh, fish or cut bait, this is it. And they make a change because I'm not sure that Mourinho is going to be doing anything over this next six months. So who knows? You look around in this summer, again, if if it were to go to hell in a handbasket for Greg Berhalter in Copa America, then you might say, hey, this guy is waiting in the wings. You're going to have to pay a lot, and obviously you're going to have to pay to get rid of Greg Burhalter, But the 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 chances of that, I think, are minuscule. But I think there's still a lot of people out there right now that if you said, "Hey, take the money aside and the economics aside," and that's a big taking of a side. But could you w- w- would you want you'll say Mourinho right now for your US National Team, and they would bite your hand to take that right now?
2: There is this school of thought. I've heard some smart people say this. That international football, because of the lack of time you have with players, you have to keep it simple and it skews a bit more pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And so while Mourinho's style might be out of step right now with high-level European club football, it actually suits international football quite well. And he would make that transition successfully.
1: I do. And I think, you know, I think he will look to the international game. And it's a very different type of existence. Any international coach will tell you that to your point. It has its good and bad. And it would challenge him uh, in a way I think that other situations haven't but i don't think by any stretch of the imagination that a uh, stretch of the imagination that joseph Mourinho is done uh with soccer right now he shall return the special one shall return
2: well and on um, this this is a bitter pill for him to swallow because i think he did view rome as almost beneath him and he was kind of doing them a favor by dropping down to manage a club of that level so for him to get sacked every everything he said in the last few months was as if he was turning down offers and he was deciding to stay and it was all going to be on his terms but uh didn't play out that way. All
1: right, where to now?
2: Well, speaking of the U.S. national team, uh, this upcoming Saturday, they play their first match of 2024, a friendly against Slovenia in San Antonio. We know the original squad called, included 25 players, all from MLS. Cade uh, Cowell uh, has since left the camp to finalize his move to Chivas. And then uh, Jackson Reagan, right? Also uh, no longer available.
1: Yeah, I saw something where he went uh, He went away too. So look, they're they're not dropping like flies, but again, to reiterate, for those that, that maybe haven't heard, because this, kind of, this game has kind of gone under the radar, it is a very young and vastly inexperienced team that Greg Burhalter has brought in, also with an eye to the Olympic team. And then who knows, whatever is happening this summer and then over the next couple of years. And if you possibly find one or two that matriculate and are able to actually compete going forward, then I think that you will have gotten something out of it. But I mean, when you go through this roster and you see the amount of players that have zero caps, um, it's, it's pretty stunning. And so while we will certainly look at someone like Miles Robinson uh, with some caps uh, and who knows, if if he hadn't gotten injured, probably your starter when it comes to Qatar as to what his progression is and where he where he is right now. I think there'll be a lot of eyes on a lot of these players that, again, have have yet to have a taste. And as I mentioned a couple of pods ago. This is a great opportunity for them day in and day out on an extended camp, unlike what we just talked about. The limitations that you have, there's no limitations here. Day in and day out to get in front of Greg Berhalter and the staff, and so that's kind of what I'll be watching. If the end of the 90 minutes, and by the way, we will be doing a a, uh, an X spaces immediately following the game. So join us live uh, for that instant analysis of what we saw. What you're hoping, and hopefully what we can talk about a little bit, is did anyone pique your interest? Did anyone say yeah? I'm, I'm in, possibly for this summer, and who knows what happens over the next couple of years.
2: You think Stu Holden will be joining us for this space as he did the last one?
1: We'll see if he graces us with his presence, you know. He, uh, he picks and chooses.
2: Uh, but yeah, I, the center forward position, always interesting. Duncan McGuire is a name I have my eye on. Diego Luna is fun. In the midfield, guys like Aiden Morris, Jack McGlynn. So there are some names of note, and as you mentioned, Miles Robinson, the spotlight on him after this move to Cincinnati.
1: All, all three goalkeepers uh, have no caps, so at some point somebody is going to get their first cap in goal. And we, you know, we talked so much uh, at the uh, convention with uh, Brad Friedel, by the way, you're going to hear that later on in the show, about the goalkeeping situation and what it is and what it isn't, and I guess what it once was as opposed to what it is uh, right now. All right, what else, must? Uh, in terms of uh, Yanks abroad, did you see the
2: goal that Luca Della Torre scored today for Celta Vigo? Not against Valencia? too shabby.
1: Not too shabby. A nice little, I guess, side heel, side foot type of flick. Uh, for those that are watching, you can see it here. He was very happy. And we're very happy because when a U.S. player, first off, is on the field, second off, is doing well, um, and scores, uh, you know, scores a goal like that, that's a good thing.
2: In terms of this upcoming weekend, on Saturday, AC Milan away to Udinese. Pulisic and Musa expected to feature there. Did you see these Pulisic comments that are getting a lot of attention? Uh, He was asked in an interview with The Athletic about the possibility of playing in MLS. And he replied, I hopefully have some great years in Europe ahead of me. I'm loving my time here. So, of course, MLS is not in my head at the moment. But, yeah, at the end of my career, absolutely.
1: I mean, it's such a gotcha question because w- what do you say? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd love to go home to MLS right now. All right, well, then you're going to have a segment that is going to criticize you and accuse you of you know, not living up to your full potential or settling and all that kind of stuff. And if you say something the way he said here, uh, as opposed to uh, and, and talking about, yeah, later on in a career, then it's, oh, it's just a retirement league and he's spitting on MLS and he's looking, uh, he's looking down on it. It doesn't phase me anymore. Play as long or as short as you want, wherever it is that you want. Um, I do think when it comes to Christian Pulisic, well, he's never played a minute in MLS, so he has he has nothing to compare it to when it comes to Major League Soccer, other than talking to his teammates uh, or watching it uh, watching it from afar. I do think at a certain point we are going to see Christian Pulisic back, but. Look, this, this move to Italy has been wonderful for him. Again, knocking on wood that he stays that he stays healthy. So I don't think any time in the future that's necessarily going to happen. Although, times can change. And with 26 coming, you never know.
2: Remember last summer, Landon Donovan questioned Pulisic's decision to go to AC Milan. We interviewed Landon at the convention. I took him to task for that. You'll hear in our next segment Landon's response when I brought that up. Uh, also in Serie A this weekend, Juventus away to Lecce. Juve yesterday beat Sassuolo 3-0. Timmy Wea came off the bench. Weston McKinney suspended
1: due to yellow card accumulation, so he'll be healthy for this Lecce game. Okay. Well, look. Weston is going to play on the edge. And so when you do that, you are going to get your fair share of uh, of yellow cards. But, I mean, it's a nice little rest for him. So I'm I'm okay with that.
2: And then in Germany... Dortmund away to Cologne. Each Dortmund match from this point forward could be Gio's last because the rumors are percolating involving him. Uh, I've read about 10 different clubs in the last couple of days. Now, some of them, it's the club expressing, expressing interest in Gio and others, it's Gio's agents offering him to that club. Nevertheless, there's a whole bunch of possibilities out there. Everybody from Benfica, Lyon, Monaco, Marseille, Wolves, Nottingham Forest, Sevilla, Villarreal, Real Sociedad. Um, I saw Goal.com beat us to the punch. They put together a list of uh, ranking of best destinations. Uh, thoughts on Gio?
1: Well, first off, keep in mind that this is his new representation that's doing this, and so they probably have a vested interest in moving him and moving him now. Uh, so, I mean, who... who? I guess it's, it's more informative to find out who hasn't Gio Reyna been offered to. Uh, so I think there is a desperation in terms of Gio Reyna. And, and look, you know, again... Since the craziness of the World Cup and what came out after the World Cup, I think, you know, even back earlier this year, my hope was that we were going to see Gio kick on from that. And while he has moved on, I don't think that it has been as positive as I think a lot of us wanted it to be. So who knows? Maybe this ultimately gets him to a place that is good. but. At some point, Giorena. I know we we talk about him still as if he is a kid, and he is still still relatively young. But at some point, this is on Giorena to go someplace else. If that's what you're going to do, and take personal responsibility for what's happening, and it's not going to be easy. And people, you know, you're going to suffer the the slings and arrows from the outside, maybe even from the inside at different times. But this is also a player that from a very early age, again has been given every advantage and every opportunity. And it has come relatively easy for him. And I just hope that when he gets to wherever it is he and his representation want, that they drop him off, and then it's up to you, Gio. And I just don't want him to get a reputation as being someone who, as soon as it gets difficult, puts his head down, runs away, and doesn't fight through it because that's, that's a problem for him. And by the way, that would be a problem for his representation too. So if it's going to get done, figure out where he's going, get him there, and then make the best of that situation going forward. And nobody else is going to make the best of it other than you, Gio.
2: Tom Bogert had an amusing tweet about how during transfer windows, agents offer their players to clubs and then leak the information, trying to frame it as if the club is interested in the player. And he told the story of an MLS agent that showed him Uh, an email he got where the agent was like, yeah, you know, we are offering him to you because we think he's a perfect fit for your club and we want you to have first crack at it. And the agent forgot to hide the fact that he had included 125 other clubs on the email.
1: (laughs) I mean, agents, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go out and find a job for your clients and find the best possible situation for you. So, I mean, if you have to pick up the phone and send emails and do all that kind of stuff, uh, that's fine. But it also means that the, the vast percentage are, are going to say, no, it's not a player for us, or we just can't afford him at this time or whatever. And so you have to whittle it down as, as quickly as you can.
2: I will say, to give Goal.com some love, I actually quite liked their ranking. I agreed with it. Uh, and the top two they had were Real Sociedad and Benfica. And... and I'm with them. I think of all the clubs I've heard the last 48 hours, those are the two that stand out that would be perfect
1: fits for him. All right. Well, let's hope, uh, let's hope it uh, works out for him. That's what it? That's it? All right. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, like you mentioned, Mossy, we got another super cut, if you will, of all sorts of interesting stuff when it comes to the uh, U.S. Coaches Convention that we went down to. And, again, we talked to Landon Donovan and Carly Lloyd and Mo Adu and Warren Barton. Uh, And the list goes on and on and on. And so producer Sean did a really nice job of putting together, uh, like I said, a a super cup, cup of all sorts of things when it comes to uh, soccer. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
3: Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go to home services marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. So why stress over home projects when you could turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. All
1: right, welcome back. Can I remind uh, the folks out there something, Mossy, before we get to this uh, next segment here? When you review and rate and subscribe and download and do all the different things when it comes to the State of the Union podcast, it, it, it warms the cockles of our American hearts here. So keep doing it because it does make a huge, huge difference. And you click in all the uh, algorithms and all the mechanics out there uh, when you're doing it. Um, and the reason why you're doing it is because hopefully we're giving you good content. Well, we got some more content here. We talked to all sorts of different people at the United uh, Soccer Coaches Convention, including Landon Donovan and Carly Lloyd and Moe Do and Warren Barton and others and Brad Friedel and that kind of stuff. So, again, here is a super cut of some of those conversations that we had down there in Anaheim, California. Joining us now, the great Landon Donovan. Yeah. What does this U.S. men's national team this summer have to do, being led by Greg Berhalter, who we know is on his second chance tight leash pretty much i would think what do they have to do to make you believe that this is a team that is heading in the right direction relative to 2024 i think we probably agree on this uh this is a
4: this is a big big summer for the u.s team the first four years with greg lots and lots of young players new players developing and we talked a lot during in qatar about you know at the time it was should greg stay should greg go and i said at the time i think it's Greg should stay. I think this team needs continuity and then keep building. Now they've had time to stay together. They know each other. When every one of those guys comes into camp, now they know the expectations. They know the way Greg wants to play. And now you got to put it on the field and do it. And there's only so many opportunities before 2026 to play in real games. No qualifying. So this is really it. I mean, this is really it. And we need we need to see. Um, really good performances and it's going to be against really good teams. Results you can't always control, right? Things happen, but, but you should really you should be able to look at it, feel it sense it and go,
1: "Oh, that team's ready for 2026." And it's and it's better, it's improved. All these cuz right. you know because you were talking about the the young players that they had. I mean, some of these players were teenagers. And as you know, maybe better than anybody, you are a very different player and person as a teenager than you are even four years later and, and so they will have matured both in terms of their play and just in terms of who they are as as people and that that can manifest on the field
4: but you know what the key is lex is they are maturing together so i'll give you you know i don't know your trajectory with world cups and and what the roster makeup was but for me in 2002 it was me and demarcus right. young kids everyone else was a senior player fast forward to 2006 we were kind of, quote-unquote, veterans. On, there were some guys still left over, but we were some of the older guys, and we weren't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. And we, we suffered because of it. In 2010, we had a really, like, veteran team across the board. A lot of us had grown up together. So the key is that this team is growing up together. Mm. Christian's grown up with Geo, with with wea with... Eunice with all these guys are Weston, they're all growing up together. Minus just a couple, Tim Ream maybe, and a few others, but most of them have played together, and now they're mature together. And I think that's a huge advantage.
2: then you question Pulisic's decision to go to AC Milan. You suggest you should come to the Galaxy instead. He's yeah, been one of the best players in Serie A. I was going to say, you must <laughs> be tremendously embarrassed. You, right? If by you that look take. back and listen to what you, what you, what you no, said, no, no. But, okay.
4: listen. In fairness, first of all, we still have a long way to the World Cup. Right, a lot of things can change, but. Christian is from day one cemented himself there and shown that he deserves to be a starter and a key player and he's shown it you know game after game and he knows when you're playing in Europe you go three or four games in a row without playing well and you might be on the bench for a while but he's he is so much more mature from his time I think at Chelsea especially and just being thrown in into the fire there and now he's mature he knows he knows what this is all about he he can play the game a little bit he knows how to he knows how to manage himself but then also um be consistent and i think that's what he's shown so listen if he stays on this path of course it was a no brainer he should have been in milan if you know knock on wood hopefully things don't go wrong but if things go wrong he's got to make sure and it goes with everybody playing in the world cup that you are playing leading up to the world cup we said it last time before qatar certain guys We had goalkeepers who weren't playing. You have to be playing leading up to the World Cup.
2: But as a follow-up, you saw with the Miles Robinson discourse over the last week, um, there still is this belief that if you're an ambitious player and you want to get better, you have to go to Europe. How much does that perception bother you?
4: I just think every individual is different, right? You can make the case now that playing in MLS is as competitive or more competitive than Liga MX. Guys like Brandon Vasquez and Cade Cal just went to League MX to play, right? So everybody has different desires, dreams, hopes. You know, I'm guessing Miles probably wanted to consider or try the opportunity to go to Europe, but MLS teams are really good too, and he knows he's going to be probably playing every minute of every game for two years, and that's crucial. If you go somewhere and you're like Pepe... Right, who went before Qatar and wasn't playing, and maybe you get left off a roster, right? So the, the key for these guys is you need to be playing as many minutes as possible, as often as
1: possible, in my opinion. Well, just to follow up on the, uh, on the Pulisic thing, and not to defend you because you don't need defending, but had Christian Pulisic taken you up on uh, your recommendation and gone to the LA Galaxy, let's say starred for the LA Galaxy, won an MLS Cup and was kicking it uh, at, a, at a high level, he still could be the same player that he is today. So yeah. that that pathway, yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't star and that you can't translate that stardom to being the best version of yourself with the national team. Is that fair? I
4: believe that, yeah. Okay. I mean, I personally believe yeah. that because that was me. But I would say... Every player is different, too. There are probably some guys who, like, you need to put them into a hard environment Mm -hmm. so they learn and grow and get better. Christian could be playing AYSO soccer for the next two years, and he'll still be our best player at the World Cup because he's got that fire and that drive, and he's a good damn good player. So for him, it doesn't matter as much. He just needs to be playing. Is my, is my
1: opinion. Carly Lloyd, she joins us here, uh, our good friend and colleague Carly Lloyd. Uh,
2: how important is the Olympics this summer for the U.S. women to do well and to sort of halt this narrative that it's a, a country that's regressing a little bit, that the rest of the world is caught up?
5: I think in this particular timing for the women's national team, Emma Hayes is the perfect candidate. She is the most complete soccer coach, I think, in the women's game. Uh, I got to play for her in 2009 in the WPS that folded. Every time I see Emma, and we always you know, get together at random, random events, we, we both always talk about that moment in Chicago together, because Emma was coaching uh, our team that had a lot of personalities. Uh, on paper, we were meant to probably win the championship, and we didn't, we actually did pretty poorly. Um, it was my first year at, at a club environment, And so I think we both learned a lot about ourselves. And I think, you know, Emma has has always gone back to that moment of, of that moment really making her into the coach that she is today of how to manage big personalities, you know, how to have those tough conversations. And I think that from a man managing standpoint, Uh, And and being able to get everybody on board from staff and players, she's uh, definitely the the one to be able to do the job. So I think that it's great. I think this Olympics going in this summer, uh, let's be honest, I I don't think they're too focused on that. I mean, she's not coming in until, what, what, June, I think, to Mm -hmm. coach the team uh, as a player. That still wouldn't change my perspective. I'd still want to go in and and do the best that I could and and try to help the team win. But I think this is a long-term build to 2027, um, and it's going to take some time to to get all the pieces together.
2: So you said it's a long-term build. So I'm wondering, for these Olympics, would you like to see a younger squad? I know some veterans retired recently, but there are some like Alex Morgan who still want to be part of that mix. Do you think that perhaps the right way to go for the Olympics is to bring a younger squad and leave some of the veterans out?
5: I do, and you know if I were kind of in that timing of the situation when Blacko they you know let let Blacko go, uh, however you want to interpret that, um, and we're waiting for the hiring of the next coach, man, I would have been treating those friendly games like they were World Cup Finals, banging in goals, doing anything possible to prove to the next coach coming in, hey, even though I'm a little bit older here, I still got game and you're gonna still need me. But several of those players, older veteran players, didn't make a good case for themselves. So it's made Emma's job and Twyla's job easy, or easier, uh, to perhaps leave some of those players off the roster in that December camp. And I think that it's gonna be a very, very tough and challenging situation for a lot of those players to get back onto the roster um, but I do think that if you're good enough to be there, no matter your age, and you've proven it day in and day out, of course you should be there. But I do think that they're going to be looking to go with a younger generation.
1: Joining us now, uh, my friend, uh, our former colleague when it comes to Fox, uh, and just one of the great American soccer players in history, proud Ohioan. Is that what you say over Ohio. there, Brad? Friedel, as I live and breathe, my friend. (laughs) You mentioned
2: distribution. It's such an interesting time for goalkeepers with this emphasis on playing out of the back and goalkeepers having to play with their feet. Um, We get frustrated sometimes when a keeper who's a good shot stopper gets dropped for not being able to play with his feet. Mm -hmm. Do you think things have gotten a bit too far on that side of things, or or you get the emphasis on playing with your feet? It depends on the head coach. Depends on
6: the style of play, of of course. but there's really only one anomaly in the entire game, and that's a Pep Guardiola team. Um, and, and again, the stats are not subjective. The most important element of what our stats suggest is the shot-stopping ability and the shot handling are the two most important aspects of goalkeeping. What I would say is this, and the reason I say that Pep Guardiola's teams are an anomaly, Ederson is so good with his feet that he actually wants defenders to attract to ederson because he knows he can take one or two out with one pass and then another defender has to come and take on Rodri in the midfield who is very good on the ball as we all know the fullbacks bomb forward and then they're off to the races not everybody can play like that you know so in other teams when somebody is dropped especially at the youth levels because of it i think that is where i would agree with you guys
1: Like, thinking that's harsh. But you would agree also that because of pep ball, if you will, and what has happened, that that has become maybe not the norm, but the ideal. And you're putting players, and oftentimes younger players, in positions that either they shouldn't be in in the first place, or they don't have the skills either now or maybe ever to actually do the things that are done at the ideal with a pep team.
6: Yeah, and and I would actually go back even a little further. I know pep was associated with, but that the Barcelona team Mm -hmm. as a whole because not just the goalkeeper playing out of the back it became every team should play thousand passes and all the the time and if you speak to to Pep about it he's like we don't play tiki-taka like somebody named it that no 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 that's my system that's my style to suck players into one area of the field to get to another area of the field quickly to expose the opposition that's really what he wants to do and he uses the goalkeeper to do that and I think you know the game is the game is cyclical I mean go back to Croy I mean the dutch that was total they're the ones that invented the total football and it's just come back again and the emphasis there is a huge emphasis on distribution um look at javi alonso's teams i mean they're but he doesn't their goalkeeper won't risk as much as a gordiola team but they're very very good intricate passers of the ball as well i would say they they play a, a little bit more direct than a man city would but only only slightly
2: It's an interesting time for American goalkeepers. They're still getting opportunities in Europe, but they're struggling to start for the bigger clubs. Well, guys like you and Tim Howard, whenever you you ended up starting for some of the biggest clubs in the world. yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Have American keepers lost a little bit of prestige overseas?
6: Um, All right, we go into it. Uh, Yeah, yeah, we'll dive in. What the hell? You always upset everybody. So I think they've gotten, some of those goalkeepers have gotten some bad advice on their career paths. Um, you know, when when I went to Liverpool, I was I knew I was at least a joint number one, and given an opportunity, didn't work out at Liverpool, so I had to go somewhere, and I played. Casey went over, and if Millwall was his first was his first club, he played. That's where you learn. That's where you get better. That, and, and by the way, that's where the fun of it all is: is getting onto the field. Um, you know, you, uh, Tim Howard he went over. Man United didn't work out. What did he do? He moved and he played, and he got better for it. You know, and right now. The goalkeepers that we have have been moving, sort of knowing they're going to be number two or number three as the number one goalkeepers. I, I gave Matt Turner his debut in the professional game with New England. He is good enough. He's actually a tremendous shot stopper. He's had to um, improve he got with, much his better feet. with his feet. Of though. course, and yeah. he's had to work at it, yeah. but he's a great kid, great worker. He's good enough to play somewhere. I thought the Arsenal move was. was not just because of my Tottenham uh, association. This is <laughs> no, and I mean this sincerely. And I told them this on the phone when I spoke to him. It wasn't the right move. Ramsdale, the fee they paid for Ramsdale, the wages they're paying for Ramsdale. Ramsdale is going to have every opportunity to start. It wouldn't be one mistake or two mistakes Turner's in Turner's end. It would have been. Four months of mistakes, and then maybe it would have happened. And that's not what you want when you're going to be the number one. Zach Steffen, really good goalkeeper, Zach. The distribution really good, uh, his his presence, his body. He went and he he, he showed it to Middlesbrough when he finally went somewhere and was going to play. I think the move coming back to Colorado is a great one for Zach because he's going to play. And you have to, at some stage, take some of the financial element out of it, especially when you're young, and play. Like, I mean, you've, like, it's it's no fun. You've been in teams where you're dropped. It's it's it it's, yeah. it's horrible. And as a goalkeeper, it's even worse because yeah. there's no – There's only one like, position you play. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, like, have to wait for an injury, and then that's not cool to, like, want your teammate to get injured. And, like, it, it's a tough spot to be in. So that's – you know, Ethan Horvath's in a tough position. I don't think – like, I think he's a little bit more unlucky because he went last year, and I thought he performed really well to now not be in the 25-man that you can't even get a game – I, I think that's that's tough um, you know and I know he's trying to play but it, it's it needs to get resolved quickly before the 2026 World Cup so we have at least three or four goalkeepers playing regularly that can have competition for the place competition makes you better
1: who's uh who's the starting goalkeeper in 2026 and your crystal ball right now if you had to say right now oh my. for the U.S. I don't know. That's my crystal
6: ball, and that's what I think Mossy's alluding to. So it's wide open. I think, yeah. I think if it started today, it's Turner. Right. In twenty twenty six, it's it's wide open because we have to see um, Turner's gone back in at Forest, and and he's performed True. he's performed pretty well since he's come back in. Um, but new manager of Nottingham Forest are they buying another goalkeeper? Um, if they do, then what? And and hopefully he finds some. If if that happens, he either remains at the number one or moves moves somewhere where he can play. But to start in a World Cup and be at the top of your game, you you can't be on the bench and then go start in a World Cup and perform to the best of your abilities. It's hard, really hard to do that. You remember when we were back, you know Tony Tony or myself or, or Casey like, and when we were swapping, it was hard to get a rhythm. Yeah, it, and it it. It would. It almost it, wasn't fair to the goalkeepers. It, yeah, you know? it would have been. And,
1: and it's harder also from the, from the players in front of you too to get that coordination and get reps and do all yeah. all, all that kind of stuff. And
6: then you have all the noise around too, yeah, like yeah. like with the keepers and and, and the media. Like who's going to start? Who's better? And and it's just it's just too much. Pick your. That's why when Raya went to Arsenal and Ramsdale was there, like and joint number ones. No. <laughs> no, there's no joint number one. There, There's a number one, and Raya was it. They should have Ramsdale, your number two. Like, just laid it on, ripped the mandate off, and let that be that.
1: All right, joining us now on the State of the Union
2: podcast, Marisa Dew. People, including Alexi, think that Burhalter needs a deep run this summer to validate the decision of bring him back as coach. If, if the U.S. were to go out early, that Burhalter could actually be in some trouble. Is that your sense? Do you think that's sort of a make-or-break tournament for Greg Burhalter?
7: It's the biggest test before the World Cup, isn't it? Uh, and and there has to be pressure on everyone, and for us to have success from the player standpoint, if you come into a camp, you don't do well, there should be pressure on you. That then, if you did, if you do get brought into another camp, that that pressure is amplified. Or what you're doing at your club team that should matter on, in terms of how you whether or not you get called in a camp. Greg has to be assessed as well, right? And I don't think that they made the hire with the with the thought that they're planning to drop him. But I think if there's a if we don't get out of the group stage and it's a disastrous performance and we just look like we're completely out of sorts, the pressure is ramped up. I do think that the Federation hired Greg with the mindset that, one, the players wanted him back. The Federation felt comfortable and they were pleased with what he did during the World Cup in 22. Um, So I do think that there should be pressure. And I, I think barring some kind of incredible disaster, uh, Greg will be leading this team in the World Cup.
2: You tested yourself in Europe. You played in Scotland and England. Uh, two players in the news this past week, Miles Robinson and Brandon Vasquez, for making transfers that didn't involve going to Europe when everybody expected that was going to be the next step of their careers. Uh, Miles obviously going to Cincinnati, and then Vasquez going to Mexico to play for Monterey. Uh, what did you make of those moves? Uh, do, do you agree with the criticism that they should have gone to Europe, or you think that's unfair? <laughs>
7: I think <laughs> – It's a little bit unfair, right? Because I don't know all the circumstances surrounding the moves, right? And for every player has their own motivation. And I don't think that I can't sit here and say this was the right decision for Miles. This was the right decision for Brandon. I can't sit here and say it's the wrong decision for them. I can look at it and say that I can appreciate the moves for what they are. Brandon's going to a club in Monterey. That's a lot of pressure, especially for a striker, right? So whereas it's not Europe, that's fair. and and the criticism might come because people thought that he had offers to go to some bigger clubs, some bigger leagues, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know that. I don't know what's factual and what isn't factual, but what I will say about the moves is there's still potential that Brandon could go have success in Monterey, big club, big pressure, and still make a move to Europe if he's looking for that. Miles, I think his deal is just one year and an option year as well, so that sets the stage for him to go have success in Cincinnati perform well there maybe he's playing in a different system that shows that he has versatility and how he can play as a center back so I don't think it closes the door to Europe all the build-up and all the rumors that were attached to both players is what maybe is fueling the fire for people to have criticism but honestly if you're performing well and you're playing well one the door for the national team is always going to be open and two there's still potential for you to go to Europe there are, I think 26 each of them in and around that age so I don't shut the door to Europe, and I'm not going to knock the move until we see how it progresses for either of them.
1: Joining us now here at the uh, United Soccer Coaches Convention, our friend, our colleague, Warren Barton. What do you think that this U.S. men's national team needs to do this summer to prove to you, me, others, that they are heading in the right directions after what we saw in December of 22 with Greg Berhalter and company uh, at the World Cup in Qatar?
8: Yeah, I'm I'm pleased for Greg, obviously, to be back uh, in charge of the... The program going forward i think it's the, the right move uh me personally i like to see them come of age now i think there's been a lot about this potential uh, i've been here 16 years now and this group of talented young players that we've got and we see it every every season every week they're playing in champions league football playing for some of the biggest clubs in the world well, if you're doing that, it comes with responsibility. And I think we now come to a stage where you've got to start winning games that you're supposed to win. You've got to get to quarterfinals. You've got to get to possibly semifinals of major tournaments. I'm not talking about World Cups, but I'm definitely talking about something that could Copa America on your home soil, with time to prepare, with the MLS, the way it's going. So there's so many things particularly in the recent years, three or four years, where we're making great strides in the direction of the national team going forward. Now they've got a long way to go where you guys was doing it and it was uh, the, the games was coming thick and fast and the likes of yourself, and I know you've just had Brad Frieda on as well that type of responsibility they've got to embrace that they've got to want to be involved that western mckinney needs to step up christian needs now to be the real leader that we hope is you know uh, timothy where i'm excited about him i think he's one of these players that can go to that that next level so i think there's a lot of excitement about this team there's a lot of belief there's a lot of positivity but now it's about delivering i think it's that time now can i ask
2: him about england yeah go ahead uh, speaking of Englishmen in England, uh, in Germany, I'm sorry, Harry Kane scored again today. We know what he's doing with Bayern Munich. We know what Jude Bellingham is doing with Real Madrid. Uh, a lot of people think England are joint favourites along with France. Are you on that page? Do you think the stars are aligning here for England to have a very strong Euros?
8: Yeah, I think, David, you're right. I think it's, it's the time for them to deliver. Um, being so close last time in the Euros at Wembley, taking the lead against Italy and then sort of a deer in headlights, didn't know what to do, and the Italians being how great they are, got themselves back in the game, and obviously go on to, to win it. But I think the experience that they've gained, uh, I think with Harry Kane being rested, you know, not the burden of the Premier League, the responsibility of being Topman's leading goal scorer, going, but going to Bayern Munich, scoring goals on a regular basis. Jude Bellingham now, for me, has gone to that next level as a world-class player. Um, now can he continue that for, for years to come? Uh, Foden's a wonderful player. The, the talent is there.
1: Okay, so I hope you enjoyed uh, those conversations that we had. And we talked to even more people. And a reminder, all the full interviews with these people will be on YouTube, including, let's add to the list, Peter Wilt, uh, just a legendary figure in soccer, the uh, architect, if you will, of the Chicago Fire when they came on his expansion team back in 1998. And then has gone on to work for pretty much every, every team and every league at every different level out there and just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, Randy Waldrum, the Nigeria coach uh, that we saw this past summer do great things with his uh, with his team and also just a, a real understanding of both the collegiate game when it comes uh, to the United States and then obviously the international game. And then Andre Swanston, the, uh, uh, one of the owners of the new Connecticut United FC team, that independent team that came into MLS Next Pro, including... Uh, all the other people that we just talked about. So check all that out. It'll all be up on the uh, on the YouTube page. And we thank everybody for spending a little bit a little bit of time down there in Anaheim, Mossy.
2: I have one bone to pick with you. Okay. From the moment I found out we were going to interview Landon Donovan, I was excited to make fun of him about that Pulisic take. And right when I was going to deliver my punchline, you felt the need to come to Landon's defense and kind of talked over me. And they had to edit around that. I mean, when I'm trying, well, well, okay, so, when I'm, on. when
1: I'm trying to be a jerk, can okay, you not interrupt? Well, let's, let's play it out then real quick for our people. So if I'm Landon and I'm saying, and you know, he's, uh, you know, Christian's done a great job and he's a great player and he's doing great over in Italy. I'm so happy for everything that he is, uh, he has done over there. And I know, you know, last year I said that he might at least look at major league soccer in terms of a next move for him. But I also said that, you know, I hope that he does well. And thankfully he has. Then what were you going to say? No, but
2: when I... Pose the question to him, I was going to say, how embarrassed are you by that ridiculous take you had? And I never got to say those words because you jumped in and he started answering before I even said
1: that. Alright, well listen, I will uh, I will orchestrate a uh, reunion with you two so that you can really zing him going forward. But we do thank him and everybody that uh, that hung out with us.
2: One reunion I did enjoy was Brad Friedel. Had not seen him in forever. He used to work at Fox and it was
1: great. Interesting um, mind. Inter- yeah. Great goalkeeper and an interesting uh, in mind. I've known him for, gosh, since we were, we were kids. Almost. Um, All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now, save $30 on the American made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS-56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
1: Okay, welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that part of the show where you send in your comments, questions, and concerns. And uh, keep in mind, use that hashtag Ask Alexi. And our handle out there on all the social media platforms is S-O-T-U with Alexi, Or you can call our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297. 657-549-2297. What do the folks want to know this episode, Mossy?
2: Uh, first up, a voicemail. Let's take a listen right now.
7: Alexi, bossy. it's Clint from Yuma. Uh, big fan of the show. First time calling in. Uh, my question is: I was listening to some old podcasts, and Alexi, you were talking about people, coaches from coaches from Europe wanting American players, and it doesn't really matter for what reason. They just want to tap into the American market. My question is: Do we care? how we get those players over to Europe or do we or is it just the fact that they get there? Let me know what thoughts. are Thank
0: you. Okay,
1: Clint from Yuma. First off, Clint, thank you for re-listening to episodes. I mean, I I told you how important the downloading and the rating and subscribing and all that kind of stuff is. And if you want to do it multiple times, oh, that is awesome. So I love the fact that you're going back and mining some of the uh, previous content. To your question, um, I, I do think that I, I, if I remember correctly, and and I've done this, and I've answered this over, over the course of the years, I always seem to f- frame it relative to ownership. Because I think that an ownership's uh, desire and ambition can sometimes be a little bit different than an actual coach's or a manager's decision. It, to, to answer your question, first off, I don't care how they get there. Obviously, I'd love it to be the most you know, um, advantageous and comfortable type of way, but it doesn't matter. Okay. If it's uh, a backdoor type of situation, if it's a passport type of situation, if it's a relationship type of situation, you know what, you got to get your foot in the door. And so I am just happy when American players get opportunities. As we mentioned in the previous pod, the amount of pathways and opportunities uh, is so much greater, but you still need a little bit of luck. You still need those connections. You still need things to, uh, things to happen. But when it comes to the ownership of some of these teams, they are looking to be global brands. And we've talked about the incredible market that, that exists in the United States and a real desire to mine that market. And one of the surest way to do that, do that is to have an actual American. There are people that are waking up and watching AC Milan or Juventus right now, not because they're necessarily big fans of either of those teams or even Serie A fans, but there are Americans playing. And that is gold uh, to ownership, especially ownership that is looking to make their brand as global and globally appealing as possible. Having said that, if you are a coach or a manager who is having these players foisted upon you, that can be problematic in terms of the dynamic and the relationship between the player and the coach. And this exists in all, in all sports. Um, and it can be problematic for that, uh, for that player in terms of the playing time that they get. Um, and like I said, if it ultimately is, uh, is successful, you want to be supported by your coach. So ultimately, I don't care how you get there. If it's a good situation, I want you to get there. And then it's up to you. And we've seen American players and, and non American players who have worked through difficult situations, challenging situations where maybe a coach doesn't want this player, or doesn't rate this player. And by doing the work each and every day, maybe Gio Reina should listen to this, they find a way to become important. They find a way to earn the respect and the credibility of their coach. Doesn't always happen, but it, it sometimes is required in order for you to do that.
2: It was interesting to hear Frito at the convention talk about American goalkeepers and some of the mistakes he thinks he's they've made uh, in getting bad advice and making ill-fated moves to Europe in the last few years.
1: Yep. All right, what else we got? Uh,
2: question from X Mallory Jr. asks, thoughts on Mal's record-breaking deal uh, referring to Mal Swanson?
1: Wow. Uh, so for those that don't know, coming off of that uh, horrible injury, she signed an NWSL record as you mentioned four-year deal option for fifth fifth and all told if she plays that whole deal out close to two million dollars so four hundred thousand dollars a year with the chicago red stars in the nwsl now this is a deal that makes her the highest paid athlete in nwsl history and she surpasses who does she surpass oh yeah the houston dash winger maria sanchez Keep in mind, just for some context, the highest-paid female player in the world is, uh, if reports are to be believed, Sam Kerr, around six hundred thousand dollars a year with Chelsea. Now she makes plenty of sponsorship money and all that, but just in pure salary, right now. So this is this is great, first and foremost, for Mal uh, Swanson. But I think this is also important for others that are going to see this. And in this battle that's going on right now with NWSL, this is a good message to be sending to the rest of the world that you are competing, not just on the field in terms of the level of competition on the field, but also off the field in, in terms of the business, because there are a lot of different options when it comes to uh, uh, professional women soccer players out there. And money talks and money in the United States that talks even more.
2: I find that dynamic fascinating. I was planning to ask both Randy Waldrum and Carly Lloyd at the convention about that and didn't get a chance with either. But the competition right now between the NWSL and these growing European leagues for players and Americans and which way they should go, I think that's very interesting.
1: And she's a great player and by all accounts, a wonderful person. So you like good things happening to good people uh, uh, like that. And so from an American perspective, you get to see a player developed domestically, celebrated, and, by the way, and MLS should listen to this, being rewarded for making, in this case, NWSL, her league of choice and wanting to uh, play here.
2: And I can't help but think, what would the U.S. World Cup team have looked like with yeah. Mal Swanson and Katrina McCarthy? Although it's not an excuse because there were loads of injuries elsewhere. England was without minus lots of its best players and still got to the final.
1: Well, hopefully we will see her uh, in a World Cup going forward and see what, uh, see what she can do. Um, and hopefully uh, she's, she's ready to go. And she can, you know, pay for some drinks for uh, her friends there. All right. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right. Another quick break. When we come back, we'll finish out our show with my one for the road. Okay. Welcome back. It's the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give you my one for the road. Mossy, I don't know if you saw this uh, news that came out. Local news, if you will. The Clippers of LA, they, uh, one of the basketball teams that we have, professional basketball teams. They just released the rules for what, are they, for what they are calling the wall. Okay, which is in this uh, new stadium, uh, Intuit Dome, right? Uh, It's a new section of fifty-one uninterrupted rows of fans. Now they have some criteria in order to uh, be in this uh, part of this uh, of the section, right? Cannot cheer for the opposing team, cannot wear uh, opposing gear, and tickets can only be resold in Clippers Marketplace and. What they are doing, Mossy in essence, is creating a supporters section at a basketball game. We have certainly seen this relative to basketball when it comes to Europe. Some incredible scenes, indoor scenes of the chanting and the dancing and the atmosphere is really what you are trying to do. But using, I guess, the the template of soccer that exists around the world, and by the way, exists here in the United States, Now some of these other leagues uh, and some of these other teams are saying, you know what? This is something that we can harness that makes the experience better, that makes it, I guess, a a competitive advantage. But I, I think there is this recognition that soccer and that experience that people have when they go to a soccer game is unique and unlike anything else that exists. And, they see the ability to tap into that. I'll be interested to see how they go about <laughs> actually policing some of these rules that they have when it comes to not cheering for the opposition. Uh, and I know the jokes write themselves relative to the Clippers. I'm sure your mind is working right now relative to, uh, I guess, the Lakers it would be. But I'm here for it. And we'll see how organized it is. Are there there capos? Are there um, song sheets? Are there things that happen there that become now part of that organic and romantic experience now of going to, in this case, an L.A. Clippers game? And we'll also see if it starts to spread. And this is something that we look back and say, you know, soccer showed us the way in terms of improving the experience when you go to some of these environments and let's be honest i've been to games you've been to games there isn't a sterile element that seems to have crept into traditional american sports um settings and if this is a way to uh, help change that or avoid that i am all for it Yeah, i have friends who bought
2: clippers season tickets and have been going for a lot of years and they often have an extra ticket for me so i've been to loads of clippers games over the years, and- I mean, I'm not trying to be a wise ass. Half the arena typically is rooting for the other team because <laughs> you can't get Lakers tickets. So if you if your team is in town, it's easier to go see them when they play the Clippers. I've only been to a couple of Knicks Lakers games in all the years I've been out here and I've been to like five Knicks Clippers games. Uh so it, it it is interesting and I can see why they're doing it, trying to legislate that and make sure that the people sitting in that section are rooting for well, the
1: Clippers. Well, that phenomenon is a very LA type of phenomenon. Yeah. And I know we are a very transient type of uh uh City. I mean, if you go and watch the Red Wings play, for example, against the Kings, it's almost not all, but it is the majority Red Wings fans. There's a lot of Red Wings fans out there because of the transplants, including myself, uh, all that. But uh, we'll see what the wall looks like going forward when it comes to the L.A. Clippers. Like I said, how they police it. But more importantly, Does it change the atmosphere? And do people start to look around and say, man, this is awesome. This is something that we need for our team going forward. I just thought thought that that was an interesting type of thing uh, that we had where, you know, we don't talk a lot about too many other sports out there, but this crossover of what's happening and how soccer, even in its form here in the United States, is able to make an impact and influence other sports, um, both on, I guess this would be the, the court and off the, uh, the court going forward. Mossy, anything before we go, my friend?
2: One last thing. Sure. Uh, the Detroit Lions will be hosting the Buccaneers this upcoming weekend. We didn't hit that in our weekend preview, but I know that's another sporting event that will have your attention.
1: It, yeah, I'm very, very excited. Uh, my wife is very, very excited. I know all of us Michiganders out there are very, very excited about daring to dream of yet another win and another home win because we, we now, because the, the fates are able to uh, host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know if you saw the, uh, the clip of the uh, the poor reporter down there in uh, Tampa asking if, if Tampa was going to do anything in preparation for the cold Detroit winter. And for those that don't know um, Detroit has played for decades now indoors, whether it was the palace or even the Silverdome. by the way, uh, or now downtown.
2: I thought the coach handled that very well. Uh, he wasn't mean about it. He just sort of corrected it. Not her. the palace.
1: Excuse me. Not the palace. Uh, the Silver Silverdome. Silver Dome. I keep. I keep. No. I'm, I got basketball on my yeah. brain here. He did handle it well. He could have just completely crushed the reporter, uh, and he didn't. He, and he didn't do. He, that.
2: he did say it's just those twenty seconds walking from the bus into the <laughs>
1: stadium. <laughs> well, look, I, I hope that my lions recognize that this is this has the potential for a, uh, what do they call it? A banana game, banana peel, you know, skin game or whatever like that. So I just hope that they are prepared.
2: Our colleague, Brad Weimer, by the way, uh, From Michigan, went to the University of Michigan, did not want to come to Houston with me for the national championship game, but is flying back uh to attend this Lions game and said if they end up hosting the conference title game, he'll stick around and go to that as well. So he's into it.
1: It's I think everybody recognized that it's it's obviously rarefied air. And let's be honest, as Detroit fans, you're saying, all right, who knows when we're gonna be back at this before? So milk it and have a wonderful time doing it. So go Lions. Uh, this, uh, this Sunday. And who knows? Maybe even b- uh, beyond. Anything else, Mazi? That's it. All right. Thank you. And again, I'm, I'm reiterating. Keep doing the downloads and the rating and the uh, reviewing and, and all the different things that you do on all the different platforms out of there. We, we can't thank you enough for, uh, for not just listening and watching but also doing that extra little clicking and whether you're sending messages uh, or rating and doing all that kind of stuff, it does make a huge difference. And it's one of the reasons why this podcast has become successful. We want to continue to push it uh, and to continue to give you all the content that you uh, that you want. We will talk to you again uh, next week. Have a wonderful weekend of soccer um, and uh, watching the soccer and just a wonderful weekend in general. And until then, and as always, my friends, size the day.